Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray, and George Belshaw of Metro.co.uk. Now, just before we get to George and I, I should point out that this podcast was recorded earlier in the week before Justin Gilmslob's statement. Uh, resigning from the ATP Board of Directors. George and I both welcome this news, I think. Uh, We would have liked it to come earlier, no doubt. But uh, the statement says it's been an honour and a privilege to hold this position for the past 11 years. My job was to best represent the players, be a custodian of the sport. My choices and actions last Halloween night prohibit me from doing that at this time. We'll have more on the Justin Gimmelstoff story when George is back from Madrid. But in the meantime, enjoy the podcast. Right, welcome to a very gassy Love Tennis podcast, it would appear. We've got all of our bodily functions out of the way. I think we're going to be all right for the rest of the podcast, we hope. I'll edit edit out any more. You might get one from me, but I'll edit out most of them. Uh, Dominic Team needs no editing. He is on absolute fire. Uh, A brilliant win in Barcelona. George, you said he was quite magnificent against Rafael Nadal in the semi-final. Mm -hmm. Not many beat him in straight sets on clay. No, well... uh team was the first player to ever take a set off Nadal in the semi-finals in Barcelona mm-hmm. and only one other man has taken a set off him in either the semi-finals or finals that man was David Ferrer right uh, in the final so you know pretty esteemed company he's with it's a tournament Nadal's dominated and dominated pretty much forever um, last man to beat him there weirdly was Fabio Fognini that is weird. This is a weird sort of symmetry. Yeah. It's, but that's the funny thing about clay, without wanting to get dragged off to a tangent too early, although that <laughs> does happen, is that it is the same names often keep coming back mm. on clay. I don't know. It, it just seems like a surface which, once you understand how to play well on it, it sticks. Yeah. And we, we you know, we were talking, when we were talking about Fognini last week, we were saying he's one of only four men to beat Rafa three times or more. Team's mm. now one of two men to beat Rafa four times or more. The other one being. Uh, Novak Djokovic, of course, who's leading the way strongly on about seven, I Mm. believe. Um, Will team catch him? That's another interesting debate for another time. 
um, perhaps. Maybe not. Maybe that's not interesting. <laughs> yeah, may, may, maybe that is interesting. Is that interesting? I don't know. I, no, no, George, sure. it's not interesting. Can you tell George is hungover? But been spending all of Sunday singing karaoke. Sorry, just I have to come back to this karaoke thing. On what grounds were you singing karaoke with your girlfriend in an empty bar? Um, so for New Year's Eve, mm. I went to this karaoke bar with another one of my friends who lives in Manila right. um, at the minute and he was back over and I said there's this new bar that's opened on our road let's go and check it out and they had a karaoke there and it was pretty much empty for right. most of the night um, but I, the owner was there, I got quite friendly with him and he's texted me a few times since being like oh when are you going to come in again and sing karaoke and of course I've been away quite a lot this year so yeah. I've not actually found the time to go there and I'm about to go away again this week, so I thought, oh, bug it. bloody hell, by the end of the weekend, I was like, I better go. So we go at eight o'clock. I'd had like a roast of my brother and his girlfriend, been drinking all day. No one's there, obviously. Eight o'clock, I cook a karaoke bar on a Sunday night. Uh, sang about a 45 minute set of very <laughs> badly sung karaoke. Right, that so, is quite remarkable. What's the name? Of, we should give it a plug, really. What's yeah, the it's bar? called uh, The Village Square. The in Village Highgate. Square in Highgate. It's good fun. All right, okay. Very nice owner. Have to give it a go. A date, date night sort of place? Or maybe um, that a bit punchy? Well, I had a lovely date there, but I think you need uh, a sense yeah, of you, you, you and your girlfriend have a very specific relationship, though, which I think is probably not worth delving into. Speaking of relationships, Dominic Team's got a new coach. Uh, how seamless was that segue? Beautiful. I that was good. It. You, it's almost like a work in radio. That really was good. Uh, he's got a new coach. He's not working exclusively with Gunter anymore, which probably is a good thing because it means that he's not getting his backside flogged every morning at four in the morning. Yeah, so I, I mean, team on the ATP site, it says Bresnik's coaching him still with Masu. Mm. Um, Nicholas Masu, who you may remember as the Chilean gold medalist winner at the 2004 Olympics. Only man ever to win singles and doubles, right? There you go. Exactly. Um, and I was going through his run earlier as well. Beat uh, Nadal's coach, Carlos Moya, en route, just in terms oh, of some more fun symmetry. The, the, the sort of coachy Olympics. There we go. Okay. Good time. So he's now working with team as his lead coach? Yeah, so he he's pretty much his sole coach. So Bresnik is, I mean, for all intents and purposes, not part of team's team anymore. Team's mm. team. Team, That's team. lovely. Team, team. Um, yeah, he, he team's like, you know, he's kind of like my family. He's been with me for a long time. But in terms of coaching him it's not really happening so i don't really know why he's still on the atp website because team kind of removed himself completely from it um but I've, maybe that's an honorary coaching position i mean gunter's been with him for a while it seems like changing tennis coaches every couple of years is fine now it's just the thing you do right yeah and like team was pretty clear on it, it was like when you when you start to know what someone's going to say after a match that's when you're not it's actually not a beneficial relationship. It's almost like it's too kind of close, which I thought was quite too, interesting. Too comfortable almost. Too comfortable. But, you know, other players, you may, I'm thinking kind of Marion Vida, Novak Djokovic here, you know, there's kind of two flip sides to that argument. You want someone who knows how to help you in the right moments and the big moments. But I suppose with the Vida situation, because they've been through and won so much together, it's a different kind of analogy. Whereas team, I've always felt like he's maybe underperformed. Maybe that's a bit strong. You know, he's still only 25, but... I think there's a lot to come from Dominic Team's game. And since Masu's come on board, he's won India Wells. He's beaten Rafa comfortably in Barcelona and won Barcelona. You know, last year he beat Rafa in Madrid and then didn't follow it up against Zverev, didn't turn up there. I, this feels like a big kind of win to back up that Nadal win. Um, so I, I, you have to say it's going really, really well so far. It's interesting, that coaching relationship, because 
yeah, you you never want yes men around you. And actually, this is something that comes up a lot in football between managers and assistant managers. Bad managers have yes men as assistant managers. Mm. Good managers, and Sir Alex Ferguson's a great example. He changed the assistant manager, not regularly, but enough, because he needed those new ideas. And I think it's the same in coaching with tennis. You have a team of coaches, and you need new ideas coming in. And I get it when tennis players go back to people. It almost makes sense to me that you should kind of go back because that time away from each other means that they've got new ideas. It's someone you already trust. Mm. You bring them in, they're going, oh, well, I went and I, I worked in you know this, this thing in South Korea and I learned this and that. And, and you can bring fresh ideas into each other. What do you think Team's Game has, has found most? What, what has this new relationship given him more than anything else? Yeah, I mean, so... I wouldn't necessarily say it's been the most dramatic shift of game style because a lot of his game is still based on, you know, he's got the fastest forehand and backhand probably combined. I reckon if you take averages of both shot speeds, team's pretty much always up there. Right. Um, what I think is he just looks a lot smarter to me tactically, like the drop shots he was putting in, um, both against Rafa and Medvedev, but particularly against Medvedev. Uh, it's really kind of thick slice that you can see the kind of curved arch it makes. I know you can't see my hand here, but it's sort of moving towards the centre of the net and then going back out towards the line, <laughs> if that's a good description. <laughs> it's a curve. It's a curve. Sure. It's a curve. But I mean, I'm saying which way it's curving, so it's not curving out and in, it's curving no, in and out. Anyone who's ever hit a sliced backhand knows which way it curves. <laughs> it's like me, because basically my racket path is so diagonal that the spin is not backspin, it, it is diagonal spin. So he's clearly been watching me play tennis. Indeed, and, and that's all you need to do to really reach the top. I mean, I, I do not have the topspin backhand, which is why I have such a good slice backhand drop shot. Because it's the exact same shot, it's just whether I hit it harder. It's G, honestly, you play on a soft court, it's brilliant. Um, but yeah, I think he's just got a, a real kind of more intelligence about his play now. Like I felt with team, if he plays perfectly, he can beat anyone on clay. Maybe Rafa aside if he's playing at that sort of level as well. But mm. there just seems a little bit more variety out there, a little more... Kind of spice mixed in um and just knowing how to play the games well i think the the big moment people will look at in that rafael nadal match is he played an absolute blinder didn't face break point until the final game of the match when in typical fashion he goes love 40 down and you're just <laughs> exactly and you're thinking he's had to check he's had to check didn't at all kept his nerve played each point as it went final one was an ace actually um reminds you of grigor dimitrov you know, a man who cannot win without trying to choke first. Mm. Almost needs the pressure of Love 40 just to make him serve properly. But I think to come through, it was big. You know, that was another sign of it's the mental... Isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's where he is. And that sort of moment really does make you believe and understand who, when you're playing the best guys in the biggest pressure moments, he can kind of think back to that and be like, right, I've done this before. This is nothing new. Um, and I think sometimes just getting that experience really helps someone like Team, who I... As I said before, I think he's got so much about his game. I, I see him as a multiple French Open champion. Like, I really do. I think he, we're talking about Rafa winning 12. I'm not saying he's going to win that many, but I can see him pushing for about four French Open titles, which mm. when you're looking at someone who's not won a Grand Slam before they're 25, that's, I think, quite a big compliment of what I think he's going to go on and do in the next five or ten years. And there is a big difference. You, you mentioned the, the recalling those moments when you've done it before. There is a difference between believing and knowing. You ask any sports person at any level, the difference between believing and knowing is massive. It just completely changes your mindset. 
I don't think you can put too little behind that Indian Wells win. Mm, That's massive, absolutely. you know, for his mental belief. This victory as well, I think it's his thirteenth ATP title overall, which is good numbers for team like that. It surprises me how high that is in many ways. I know mm. not many of them have been really top level titles, but he's he's never struck me as a real kind of title amasser. Mm. If that's a way of putting it. Uh, yeah, no title. Yeah, he's not the kind of guy who you expect to win forty matches in a row. He's the kind of guy who's going to have a good couple of weeks here and a good couple of weeks there. But also remember, he's the kind of guy who plays four hundred tournaments a year. Mm. Because Gunter always said, "No, no, no, we're playing. We're yeah. playing. What, what, what is holiday? We're playing." <laughs> so maybe we'll see a little bit more of a refined schedule from him, yeah, and that so. should help. We, well, we, I would hope so because I don't think it's sustainable to play the amount of tennis. No. He was previously play, literally playing forty-two tournaments a year and winning quite a lot of matches. That's going to really hurt yeah. you. So hopefully we'll see a bit more from Dominic Team. Um, he of course battered Daniil Medvedev in the final, but. Yeah. Credit to Medvedev for getting there. He's going to move up to a career-high 14 in the world, I think. Yeah, he was unlucky not to get there last week, of course, with Fognini leapfrogging him. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that happens. <laughs> Fognini just... I, I can't really quite believe that 2019, I'm talking about world number 12, Fabio Fognini. <laughs> and also, yes, I know we're saying it wrong. It's Fognini, but Fognini is funnier. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to return to Daniil Medvedev, yeah. which we are saying right, because I speak Russian. I know that's right. Mm-hmm. Um... You were impressed by him on clay. We kind of hinted after he was so good on hardcore early in the year that he might have a chance if he can adapt his game and he had a chance to move his ranking up because there's so few points to defend from last year. Yeah, and I think we all thought he would improve. I mean, it's hard not to improve from one match win on clay mm-hmm. in a season. But to turn up to two tournaments, one being a Masters, the other a very strong 500 field and go to the semifinals and the final, that's just you know, sign of real progress. What I would say about Medvedev is, I know he beat Nishikori in the semifinals and that was a a really gritty performance. I think his level right now is sort of what I say about Marin Cilic, a lot of his career, going to beat nine, 90% of the ATP tour, but I think he'll struggle against top 10 most of the time. On clay or? On, on clay, on the clay this is. Yeah. I, think, I think he's getting the best out of his game on clay, but I'm not sure he'll necessarily be beating guys like Rafa Novak team on mm. this surface this year. That's I might be wrong, but that that's where I think his level is at the minute. Yeah. I mean, despite the fact that he has, you know, three wins against top 10 players on clay this year. <laughs> other, other than that, terrible. <laughs> well, one of them is Pass, who he's never lost to, so that okay. doesn't count. Yeah, right, that's a, that's, a, that's a different kind of head-to-head. The head other bloke is some guy called Novak Djokovic. Is he any good? Oh, that is a good point. I completely forgot to beat him last week. That's funny, isn't it? God, I, I said before we came on, I know I'm going to make a big mistake there is, There's today, your big there's my big mistake. Now, okay. if I was a kind right, well, at the French Open, let's put it that way. All right, okay. okay. If that, I was kind, really I could edit out that mistake, but I'm not going no, to. No, it's fine. Don't. don't. Right. I, do, I deserve I'm that not to going keep me to. humble. <laughs> keep <laughs> me grounded. <laughs> I also just noticed that you say Novak the same way Andy Murray says Novak. 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 <laughs> no, no, because Andy Murray is not the Gruffalo. <laughs> He says, Novak, Novak, Novak. Should I say his name like Greg Rizicsti? He says it, Djokovic. That does make me angry. Now, we've managed to not really, we've mentioned him, but we've managed not to talk about Rafa, which is how Andy Murray says Rafa. Uh, I think we're just going to do a lot of Andy Murray impressions today. I can feel it, and I, I, I'm not going to apologise for it. Is that the royal we? Uh, yeah, quite. Uh, is this time to panic for Rafael Nadal, I have written in my notes? Mm. Is it? No, I Good. don't think so. Excellent. Next. <laughs> Next. No, um, there were signs of improvement this week. I think he 
he actually played a pretty good match against team. Played a very good match against Ferrer as well, who was playing some good tennis. And quick side note for him, he goes out in Madrid next week and what a career he's had, what a set of performances he put in this week again. Um, but Rafa, there were signs he's playing himself into a bit of form, I think. Um, not at the dizzying heights one might expect. Um, but Is I this kind of what we have to think now? about Nadal like are we sort of having to accept the fact that he's human because he is a bit older he is you know not on the slide but he, he he's getting older it does happen yeah I think well I think when you're just thinking about his knee injury and how that cut short his preparations I think perhaps given his normal routine coming into this clay season well particularly compared to last year actually when he, he didn't play competitive tennis until the Davis Cup mm. which was just before the clay season and he had all that time off and I think that helped him kind of having an extended period to prepare on clay in many ways and he just seems a little bit short of match play short of match sharpness short of confidence in the big moments he's missing a lot on his forehand I can't imagine that carrying on until the French Open so I think now is a good time to strike him um, but it is also worth saying I don't see him winning Madrid next week that's not a tournament he's traditionally the most strong at I think he still won it something like five times four on clay <laughs> one just... when it's indoor hard but so it seems weird to say it's not where he's strongest but you know he, he's so good in these events like Monte Carlo and Barcelona and Rome which I think he's won eight times off the top of my head mm. um, that is the one where other guys would be some of the conditions favour team someone like Zverev with a big serve even Federer has beaten him in Madrid before I believe mm-hmm. 2009 um, in the final um, so I think He's more vulnerable there. And then we're looking at us being about five months into the season, five, you know, four and a half, five months into the season, Nadal won't have a title, which just seems pretty crazy, really. Very, very odd. I wonder when the last time, and I might be able to do some research later, the last time Nadal, in a playing season, didn't have a title by, say, you know, May. Mm. Uh, I would like to also do a quiz, maybe oh, no. a sporkle quiz. No, look, it, it's a fun <laughs> quiz, which is the 11 times i think it's 10 different men maybe nine different men who've beaten nadal in madrid okay so there's federer correct team correct Djokovic. correct murray correct twice possibly vavrinka not vavrinka okay now we're into the more interesting now we're people into the rogue people uh the bloke who always wins a tiebreak set in a grand slam against a good player and that's it it's Thomas Burditch. Burditch? Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> That's the, an interesting way to describe it. <laughs> well, it's just, it's just kind of how I think of Thomas Burditch. I'm like, oh, yeah, look, Burditch is one set all and he won the second in a tiebreak and then he just loses <laughs> to a decent player because that's how Thomas Burditch's career goes. Uh, you've also got Gilles Simon. Wow. David Nalbandian. Oh, no, I would have got that one because he beat... Is that the same tournament he beat Federer and Djokovic? I've got mm, a feeling... Pass. I think that he's the only man to beat all three in the same tournament. Right. I think that was it might when, have been when it was on one. hard back in 2007. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other two men are just such good names. It's uh, it's Vincent Spadia, Spadia. I've never known how to say his name, the American. Uh, and then Alex Karecha. Oh, right. Alex Karecha was Rafael Nadal's first ever um, opponent at Madrid Masters. And he beat him 6-2, 3-6, 6-4. 
Go. Back when Nadal was a mere world number 127. <laughs> there you go, 2003. If you got any of those before I did, uh, it was easier for me, I admit, because I've got tennis abstract up in front of me. <laughs> it's kind of cheating, I suppose. But I've also just seen uh, one of our presenters hobble past because he ran the marathon yesterday. Well done, uh, Patrick Christie's. Yeah, that's why he's not just, you know, got a problem. <laughs> um, he ran the marathon in four hours 36 with almost no training. That's Which is effort. quite impressive, but he does now like his whole thigh is black, Ooh. so I think he's torn a muscle, which is pretty uh, pretty painful. Yeah, uh, but Rafa Nadal's more than used to those sorts of injuries. Mm. Are you still confident he'll win the French Open? You're not confident. I, I can confident. tell you that right now. Yeah, I was. Well, you've been. Well, I was never confident in anyway because I thought. I mean, I did think he'd win it, but I thought Novak would push him hard. Now mm. I'm not so sure about that. I think team will push him hard. Mm. Um, kind of depends how the draw pans out, right? It does, and. You know, I, I saw a few people being like, oh, I really hope Team and Nadal are on different sides of the draw. But for me, I'd rather see him go through Team in the semis and Djokovic mm. in the final. I think is there any chance? I mean, I'm just looking fun. at the rankings. Zverev at number four is 500 points ahead of Team. I suppose Team's got a lot to defend from last year. Well, Zverev's got more. Oh, yeah, Zverev's, he's won Madrid. Mm. He's won Munich. Got mm. to the final of Rome. So he's basically got so to... He's he's basically got got to... to you know, win so one what of these I'm masters. saying is, team I think team will come be number past four seed for the French Open. Yeah, I do think that. I mean, that would that would be great because it would. Sort I think of, that would be better. It would be, be better honest. for the tournament, yeah. right? Because it would guarantee you got Djokovic, no, Nadal, I mean, Federer. We can't have a team, team Nadal quarterfinal, for yeah, example. That would, and be, that would be, be a bit of a disaster. Yes. Well, hopefully, maybe they maybe they can just rig it. Just be like, well, team is the number four seed because because yeah. that's the thing as well. I always think Grand Slam seedings they could just be like. Team's obviously the number four seed. Like he's number five in the world, but we're making team. Yeah, number I mean four Wimbledon seed. would seed him. Yeah, probably based on the. Well, they wouldn't have Federer in the in the seeds or anywhere near it. That'd be interesting to see. He'd probably drop to number thirty-two, <laughs> Federer, <laughs> based on the Wimbledon formula. Yeah, quite if possibly. They did that for Claire. <laughs> well, it's going to be an exciting French Open anyway. That's yeah. that's the important thing. Uh, yes. Certainly on the men's side. Uh, let's talk a, bit, a little bit about the women's side next. Okay. Let's not because we want to talk about Gimmelstob. Okay. So I'll <laughs> cut this into something. We should also talk about Justin Gimmelstop. It would have been a smooth segue if I'd sort of remembered it in the right way. But basically, Nadal was asked about it at a press conference, dodged it. I seem to remember he basically said, if the guy from the Players' Council asked me for my personal opinion, I'd give it. And then they said, the journalist says, well, what's your personal opinion? He says, I don't want to tell you. Yeah. That, I don't think that's an acceptable answer. I don't think it's enough. But also, it's not like he's not going to get asked that question again, right? Yeah, so I mean, the... I think the first half of his answer is him being quite petty. Mm. Um, I'm sure Rafael Nadal fans who've been in my mentions all week <laughs> after going after him a little bit in an article uh, won't be too happy to hear me say that. But there's this idea that Rafa wasn't asked about the Chris Commode situation earlier in the year. So he's you know pretty ticked off with the council. So I think that first part of the questions, him basically being a bit arsy, like, yeah, you know, these guys never ask me what I think. Why should I tell them? But this is, and and you know, Nadal fans have been coming over to me all week. Oh, you know, the, the player council don't care what he thinks. Uh, you know, Commode, they were asking him, Commode's not a convicted criminal. Mm. You know, this is a, a wholeheartedly different situation. It's, I can't stress, people from other sports are talking to me about this. Like, how the hell is this guy still in the job? Mm. 
Exactly. Why the hell is he not out now? I mean, it, we're talking it's gone past a week. And, uh, you know, there aren't many things that wind me up. But this week on Twitter, I was getting so... I was pulling my hair out mm. that people can't see the difference in this situation. It's so important that the big names in this sport come out against it. And, let, you know, let's not even get onto the tepid statements of the likes of Tennis Australia and the USTA and the Tennis Channel, of course. You know, the sport needs to wholeheartedly condemn him here. It's not good enough. Mm. It's not good enough. It's a hugely important position. The players can get him off the ATP board who, you know, are going to get off scot-free for not kicking him out anyway because, you know, one of the guys on there, Debbie Egdes, is his BFF sort of thing. You know, that's that's unacceptable in itself. But, you know, there's so much pressure on the players to make the right decision. And I do, I'm starting to think they will now, I hasten to add, because Pospisil's put out a bit of a statement via David Law this week. Starting to row back. Um, sort of saying, I didn't realise, you know, quite how bad it was. And I think this is the problem. Tennis players live in their own bubble. They don't see mm. what this looks like. It's kind of a necessity so, to do so. It, and it's a PR nightmare, this. I mean, I just can't actually believe we're even discussing this being an issue discussing someone not coming out but it looked like he was going to stay on about a week ago um, which is crazy I'm completely staggered and I'm I find it pretty tedious, the sort of whataboutery on Twitter that, that goes, oh, what about this one? Well, yeah. I don't Why is Federer not coming out and saying it? That's I, not the point. Yeah, stop being so tribal about an issue that is actually like about your sport's future and about how your sport looks to the world. Tennis is a niche sport. Get used to it. It's not football. Football is the only mainstream sport. Tennis is a niche sport. You're sitting here wearing a football shirt like on a <laughs> tennis podcast. I know I appreciate that's basically you haven't done laundry in two days, but you know th- that's the truth of it, is that tennis cannot afford bad publicity. None of them can. We talked about Alex Hales, the, the cricketer who's been suspended for two different recreational drugs bans. Those sports cannot afford negative publicity. They can't afford sponsors to look at it and go, maybe not, thanks. It's money they can't afford to have withdrawn. So you need to deal with them the right way and you need to deal with them quickly. I don't care if Justin Gimmelstab has been punished by the courts in America. It's not enough. It's not, it's not, he hasn't been punished by the court of tennis. You have to make your own decision uh, whether he is a guy who needs to be in charge of the professional game. The players will make that decision, the player representatives, and I hope they think the right way. And I'm glad to hear that you think the players are starting to move the needle of public opinion. The Grand Slams have, well, Wimbledon at least have said that he will not be invited to participate in invitational events or attend the Royal Box at the Championships in 2019. Which for them is like putting the middle finger up. I mean, yeah, given that this is the All England All Tennis Club, like they don't really say anything in certain terms. It's significantly stronger than the USTA, who are, quote, assessing the situation. Uh, Tennis Australia said that positions of leadership come with higher levels of expectation and accountability, which is a good point. The privilege to being in a position of authority requires behaviour that sets a standard and a good example. We acknowledge and support that the future of the America's representative on the Player Council is a decision for the ATP, its membership and ultimately the Player Council. That's interesting because that sort of acknowledges that it's not their decision, but it comes quite close to saying, come on, lads, like, it's, it's pretty obvious what you have to do here. I hope that it is obvious. It's obvious to us. It's obvious to a lot of people outside tennis. Abandon your tribalism. Don't tell me that I need to be ringing up Roger Federer every time there's some big deal in tennis. Ask the players you support, whoever they are, to support what is the right thing to do in tennis. I don't care who your favourite player is or what emoji you've got after your name on Twitter. (laughs) This is about tennis and it's obvious what the answer is. George sent me a list earlier of lots of names, about half of which I can pronounce, because that's women's tennis at the moment. But only one of them has two trophies next to it. 
Patrick Kvitova, the only two-time winner in 2019 on the Women's Tour. A, brilliant for competitiveness, brilliant entertainment on the Women's Tour. B, Patrick Kvitova, what a player. Yeah, she's um, having a really good season, really good couple of years. Um, it was good for her to kind of get back to a, a good level at Grand Slam at the start of the year. That's the one thing that had really been missing. Um, she's agonizingly close to being world number one now behind Osaka. Problem for her is she's got a bit of a Zverev situation where she's got a lot of points to defend. She also won in Madrid last season. Um, she won in Prague as well, I think I'm going to say off the top of my head. Right. Um, I seem to remember her having quite an emotional home uh, speech in front of her home fans, obviously. Uh, but only round three of the French Open again, I think, off the top of my head. So there are points to be made back up, mm. um, but it's not like Osaka's dominated the clay season last year. So, you know, it's, she's got a chance, but she needs to keep her form going really well. But it, it's great to see a multiple champion like with team and Federer on the other side. There've not been many of them this year, yeah. uh, but couldn't have happened to a nicer person on the WTA side. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we don't need to go over the Petra Kvitova story again. You, you, you will yeah. know it already, but obviously the knife attack that nearly ended her career in terms of comebacks, it's a, a pretty sensational story. You couldn't put it in a film because they would branded unrealistic and <laughs> too Hollywoodish, but it certainly is a remarkable story. She's obviously up to world number two now. Um, I think, she's the kind of player and the kind of character who will win more slams, partly because of the nature of the women's game where almost anyone can win a slam. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not saying like a bad thing. It's a good thing, but frankly, you're, you're really annoying everyone today. It, well, no, no it's just, left. if you're in the top 40, you've got a good shot at it because the game is so even, you know, and it's for a number of different reasons, but I have a good friend, a journalist actually, who, commonly says he'd much rather watch women's tennis because the serve is less powerful and it makes it a better game. Mm. Whereas in men's tennis, because it's the same size court and the players are generally taller, the serve is actually overpowered, which is not a, it's an interesting point of view. And I know we've got a a big men's versus women's podcast coming up. Um, It's in the can anyway, put it that way. When we get a quiet, when we get a quiet week, uh, we might for a few months. Yeah. I was going to say maybe next year or something. (laughs) Uh, But there is a a podcast coming up. We talk about that. The differences, I mean, it's not the it's not the birds and the bees. It's not the differences between men and women. It's the differences between men and women on a tennis court, and and that is interesting. And I, I think that the women's game at the moment, Kvitova is the kind of woman who should be looking at and thinking, yeah, I should go out and win five slams in the next three years. Why on earth not? Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a mental thing, isn't it? On this side of, there's not that belief that someone can go and dominate all the slams. You know, mm. we're talking about Osaka starting to do that by winning back to back US and Australia, but in that kind of crop of players. I don't see too many people, maybe like Sabalenka also coming through, I think could have that mentality. But in the guys who are already up and around there, Halep, for example, she wins the French Open and then she's talking about, at Wimbledon about how she struggled to regain motivation, you know, straight after that. Whereas, and I remember Navratilova kind of going after her, like, how can you think like this? <laughs> you know, you want to be a Grand Slam champion. You get one, you want more. It becomes like a desperate feeling. And that's mm. something I think we take so much for granted among Federer and Nadal and Djokovic particularly is, and Serena, of course, just that desire to keep going, keep going, you know, chase every single record down. It, it, it's a unique mentality and not one that every sports person will ever share. Really. It's, and it's a weird mentality. <clears throat> like if you've ever met, and you know, you've met some of these people, I've met some of these people, they're weird. Like it's, <laughs> it is weird. It's a weird tour. Like yeah. it's, it's a, uh, that mentality and that, that character trait is odd. 
And sometimes you meet people outside of sport who are like that. Actually, funnily enough, most of the people you meet are in sport like that. But every now and again, you meet some serial success person. Mm-hmm. And they are odd. Because yeah. all they're thinking about, even just after they've won something, is the next win. Yeah. And actually, it becomes like a drug. I mean, actually, it, I could talk about this all day, but it is a drug. It, it is the same chemical reaction in your brain that goes on and becomes addictive and, and not achieving that makes you grumpy and makes you mm. horrible. It's why top, top, top sports people are so horrendous to interview after they've lost. Because <laughs> it's actually like uh, interviewing a heroin addict whose fix you just nicked. They're just, they're just like, well, I've, I, I, I'm absolutely raging. It's horrible. You say uh, horrible, it's also normally entertaining. Well, yeah, I mean, it never fails to be entertaining, but you know that's just because I enjoy human suffering. And then we'll do some Madrid. Because there's only so much I can say about Patrick Vitter. Yeah, fine. I think we covered it. Yeah. Could have been a disaster. I mean, that keyboard doesn't do anything. <coughs> not connected to anything. The computer that <laughs> just keeps you happy. Uh, okay, Federer return in Madrid. Yeah, just general preview prediction. Now, George, you're about to fly out to Madrid yes. for the Madrid Masters. A full 10-day trip for you, is it? It's a little longer because I'm going on the Wednesday, uh, Okay. Um, back on the Monday. So, so you're actually hanging days? around for the final this time, whereas in I, Monte Carlo you just you just yeah, started off. I don't know clash with the Fed Cup this time. Okay, very um, good. I've got some quite exciting uh, content coming up pre-Madrid. Oh, I love content, love George. content, um, which we're looking at getting some players writing for us, actually. Oh, um, cool. Sort of going out to do a bit of ghostwriting with that. So oh, good luck. quite cool. I have some experience, experience ghostwriting. It's really hard. Yeah, I, I did it for a, a women's footballer once. We used to have a kind of rotational series doing mm. that. Uh, and we're doing the same sort of thing in tennis. That's nice. the plan. So we've got some pretty cool names coming up. Uh, still thrashing out exactly who, when, why, what. But um, the first one I'm really excited for and just have the name through for the second one today, which I'll tell you off air after. Uh, <laughs> All your teas. All your teas, but something to really look forward to. Hopefully. Brilliant. Uh, Madrid itself. Yes. Obviously, Roger Federer playing in Madrid. I mean, that's the story, isn't it? I mean, it's all, it's all anyone's going to talk about, I assume. It's all everyone was talking about in Monte Carlo, honestly. Oh, really? all, the, all the pre-tournament conferences were just like, what do you think about Roger coming back? How do you think he'll do? Blah, blah, blah. And How do you think he'll do? How do I think he'll do? It's a really good question. Did you notice he was practicing with Dan Evans this week? Did that no, come on your radar? That, actually, funnily enough, <laughs> it's just you know it didn't quite pop up. But uh, he's been, he he thinks doesn't he think that Dan Evans is like him? Like yeah, he said, well, he kind of said they've got a very kind of almost mirrored style. Uh, so what's the point in practicing with him? I don't know. I mean, he must have been. I mean, look, I'm not questioning Australia. Roger. Far be it from <clears throat> me to question. Well, you Roger. know, he can hit a ball over the net, don't you, Dan Evans? He'll <laughs> give you some. He'll give you some tricky things to deal with. Yeah, okay. maybe been watching Dominic teams slice backhand and thought, bloody, hell, I need to find someone who's got something like this. And okay. Evo's certainly got variety. You can't accuse him of not having that. No. Um, how do I think he'll do? It's a really good question. I think I don't want to sit on the fence, but it will depend on how much he's adapted that movement you know he's basically said he's needed to teach himself how to slide i think in madrid federer can serve him his way out of a lot of problems you know it's fast clay played on it last year um at the press tournament it's a brilliant experience because clay for me is normally a bit of a nightmare surface takes all the pace out of my serve and just kind of sits up takes you know i can hit heavy ground strokes on it and it just by the time it actually sits mm. up is the power's gone even though it sits up quite nicely, that that's kind of the flip side as John Isner will kind of attest to weirdly being good on clay sometimes. Yeah. You know, that kind of sit up's good for a taller guy. Um, 
But in Madrid, my surf works. It flies through. It's like mm. a really fast, obviously, the altitude kind of makes it just very quickly, um, which makes me kind of think, right, someone like Federer, as Zverev did last year, in theory, could kind of serve his way to the title. If he looks after that, uh, it doesn't necessarily matter how much he's moving around. So I- I've got a feeling he's going to be quite good. I think I'll say semifinals at least. Um, but I don't know. It, mm. c- it could be a first round loss as well. Either way, it's a really interesting story just to see how he does. What about you? Uh, I think he'll bomb out early. I think it's sort of ring rust is massive, especially in tennis. We've seen it with so many players. I think you'll see. I think you'll see him get get beaten by someone. Look, it depends massively on the draw. The draw he could get a but play I, specialist, and there are lots of those ranked I, around who are. I don't as well, think that would be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to see him losing three in his first or second match. Like Schwartzman. Yeah, I mean, it'd be an absolute yeah. nightmare. Uh, would you like to have a crack at naming these seven men who've beaten Federer in oh, Madrid? God. <laughs> <laughs> I get, uh, Rafa. Yeah, Rafa and Nadal. One of them. Uh, no Novak Djokovic on that Murray, list. I think, has. Yes, Murray has back in 2008. See if you can beat George to them and listening at home. Uh, the two most recent ones. Oh, that was, yeah. You should know. I I feel like you... Oh, I, No. You Why tried last time. Kane Ishikori, who is just, uh, you know, an agent version of Stanislav Vavrinka. Uh, and Nick Kyrgios, of course, Kyrgios, beat him of course, that brilliant horrible... Three-time break. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, horrible. You'll probably... <laughs> uh, then he got to the final in 2007... He lost to He's back on indoor wild now, Davin, so. David Nalbandian again. Nalbandian. Uh, Juan Carlos Ferrero and the first person. He lost to Ferrero on he indoor lost to Ferrero, okay. yeah, in the semi final. Uh, and the first person to beat Roger Federer in Madrid, yes. Fabrice Santoro. Brilliant. Just, just, just great names. Just, great. just great people. Uh, I don't think Fabrice Santoro. Well, actually, he probably will be there, won't he? Because he does TV work, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he'll probably be doing on court interviews. Around. Yeah, something like that. Maybe they can they can reminisce about when Santoro beat him five and three. <laughs> Somehow I don't think they will. I think it'll be. So just to get a number, we're saying first, second round, second match. Second because well, he might yeah. get a buy yeah, in the first buy, round. So Third match. round, Roger Federer. I'm going with. Okay. Yeah. That's when Novak went out last year. Overrated. Carl Edmund. Overrated this Federer bloke. Often said it. <laughs> I think that's all we've got time for, George. But before I not keep... going to give me an actual winner of the whole tournament. No, absolutely not. I'm just like picking a name out of an absolute hat. Team. Team. Right. Brilliant. Well done. You've picked <laughs> the form player on clay in the world well, no, right now. Oh, okay. Or the bloke who's probably going to win, you know, three slams this year. Great. Excellent. Uh, well, I guess I'll pick. I don't know. You could have Nadal. He's still going. No. Oh, he doesn't win Madrid, famously. I don't have anyone here. I, can I have the rest of the field? I think that would actually be a fair bet. So, am I getting Nadal as you well? You can have so no. You can't have Nadal. <laughs> I want Nadal, Nadal and, and the rest of the field. field. You can have Team Ooh. and Djokovic. I want Nadal and the rest of the okay. field. All right. Yeah. Don't, All right, let's okay. do that. There a go. pint on that. All right. Deal. Do. Now, I'm not sure you can stomach much more. Yeah, not I'll, today. It'll be two By weeks. By the time Madrid's over, yeah. Yes. Uh, have fun in Madrid, George, and we'll be back in two weeks. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.